Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. My name's Sammy James. Hope you are all good. Thank you for listening to the show today. And I am joined right now by Jack Collins. How you doing, Jack? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, all good, thank you. And really excited to bring you this podcast today. Uh, a little bit of a special one for us because we've got some exciting news that Fulhamish has partnered with The Athletic. It's going to bring us so many more opportunities this year. Uh, Peter Rutzler, their Fulham writer, is going to become a key part of the Fulhamish podcast going forward. Um, and we're delighted to tell you, we might as well get straight into it. Jack, um, it, it's great times uh, for Fulhamish and, and really exciting that we've been able to uh, finally partner with, with an organisation like The Athletic. Yeah, obviously, um, the athletics journalism is is unbelievable at, at times, and and I've really really enjoyed being reading them for the story. And I, I was really excited, you know, about when we came up to be like, right, we're going to get a full time thing here. We're going to look at some of these stories that that maybe have gone a little bit under the radar in times. And and I think that's the best thing for us about this partnership is that we're about to get a bit more insight into the, you know the whole club and and what's going on behind the scenes from Peter, and um, but also in terms of just storylines and and access to to stories that we'd like to tell and and looking at kind of things a little bit more outside of the box it, it opens those kind of doors as well so I think it's really exciting times and uh, you know I'm really gassed about how how it's going to go yeah exactly so kind of the roadmap of what's going to be happening this season um the Fulhamish podcast remains completely free and we will be uploading twice a week, which we already did already, but this kind of rubber stamps that we will and hopefully we'll do more podcast specials in, in things like international breaks and and, and post-season as well. Um, so the Fulhamish podcast remains free. Um, you can listen to Fulhamish now advert-free for the first time if you sign up to the Athletic app and, and listen to the podcast on there. There's some also some other great Athletic podcasts you can listen to advert free uh personally i absolutely love the uh, the chappers and ornstein podcast and of course zonal marking with our friend ali maxwell jack is a great podcast yeah obviously a huge fan of pretty much anything michael cox does in terms of written content and audio content and, and having ali on that as well is is excellent and him and george do a show as well our old friends at not the top 20 they do a show uh, the totally football league show extra time on there as well so there's a whole load of great podcasts and um yeah it, it's a really exciting stable should we say to become to become partnered with and and there's loads of really good stuff on there so i can't recommend it enough yeah so our kind of sunday monday podcast that um you know and love was kind of how the podcast started four years ago with myself jack dom ben and farrell um in a room shooting the breeze about fulham remains exactly the same after every game uh, we'll get three or four of us on just to chat about the game as fans what our experience was um that is completely unaffected our thursday show though will be changed up a little bit we'll still be doing previews um of upcoming games today we've got a preview with the athletics west brom correspondent steve madeley um to get a, a picture from them at what, ahead of what is a massive game but also every thursday 
we'll have Peter Fulham's new writer on the block, um, Peter Rutzler. He, he's really kind of made a splash in the uh, in the Fulham fan market with, with some great pieces and also some great Twitter content, um, to, to say the least. He's going to be on the podcast every Thursday, just giving us an insight from his mind into everything Fulham. And, and Jack, I guess it's one of those things where as fans, we, we have an opinion. Our opinion is important, but sometimes we, it's hard for us to get that real insight that someone that's really in the nooks and crannies of the club, particularly at the moment when we can't go to games. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to have Peter on the podcast, just, just kind of giving us little tidbits that normally as fans, we, we aren't able to get access to. Yeah, well, I mean, I've known Peter for a long time. Uh, we actually weirdly went to school together. But it was it, one of those things where I, I was talking to him about this and he was saying that the way that Scott speaks, even in press conferences, is, is often quite long-winded and he goes around points in a, in a kind of long-fashioned way. And, and occasionally when that's then reduced to kind of tweet format, it comes across as very cutting or, or, or comes across in a way where it's not necessarily I- intended to. And, and I'm excited to get Peter on here and get kind of parts of this where he kind of explains the whole story. I mean, press conferences are now so you know tight knit and and so kind of behind closed doors especially now that they are you know done virtually and and hearing after games and getting those kind of insights from Scott I I think that's what we're going to glean most is getting the kind of you know from the horse's mouth itself learning exactly how Scott put phrases across exactly what he meant by certain things and and that's what we now have you know, in our arsenal with Peter in the team. And it's really exciting in terms of what we can then bring and, and look at these kind of, you know, like you say, insights and, and bits from behind the scenes that we potentially wouldn't have had access to before without, you know, necessarily having to condense them into small bits. It is literally, we get the whole truth and nothing but the truth, if you will. <laughs> yeah, well, fingers crossed anyway. So with regards to the rest of Fulhamish and what we do, um, our website and our YouTube channel um, remain completely unaffected by this it's just a partnership with the podcasts um and we really appreciate your support over there we've been trying to grow our youtube channel with more content as you may have seen um and you know to our really amazing kofi backers who who sponsored us in the summer and and supported us in the summer um you know your cash continues to go towards us being able to fund these things that we do. We know that the costs are high. I explained it in the summer. So um, your money will continue to go towards us producing as much Fulham content as we can. But with regards to the podcast, um, if you want to listen to it ad-free, you can just go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. They've got a special offer until the end of the week. It's one pound a month for the first six months. So if you kind of want to try The Athletic, then you can. It's super cheap. As I said, one pound a month for the first six months. The Athletic athletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. You'll get this podcast for free and access to all of Peter's amazing articles. And of course, all the other articles that are there on the athletic, they don't just cover Fulham. They cover the whole of the premier league and wider football and, you know, some great reading on there. And it, it goes way more in depth than, um, lots of your traditional newspapers. And of course it's ad advert free. They're not trying to clickbait or anything like that. You're just getting pure, great, articles on the club you love which is Fulham but of course also on the rest of football as as a wider thing so Jack um, I think we've been quite self-indulgent but I think 
I just want to say thank you to everyone that's listened over the years. I don't think we can thank people enough because we started it four years ago from pretty humble origins and now we've partnered with The Athletic and it, and it's just down to those people that have listened and sent in questions and just been a part of what we've been doing for, for the last four years. And um, yeah, it's just, it's it's a great time um, for us. Not such a great time for Fulham, but fingers crossed that can get better too. <laughs> Yeah, I think that this is, you know, like we say, and we're going to talk to Peter now about these things and about where he sees their improvements coming. But there are, you know, I think shoots of life here from Fulham. And and I think over the last couple of games, yes, the results have been bad. And yes, that is a worry because you need to be picking up points at this point and, and, and nothing comes away from that. But there are sparks, I think, in this Fulham team. And there have been moments, you know, where we seem to be having things at, at the moment where everyone everyone's a little bit on edge everyone's a little bit you know touchy about about different things and and people have differences of opinion that's that's fine you know that's that's how football works and that's how you know analysis of football works everybody has an opinion and, and everyone's entitled to that opinion so it is going to be a weird time and we just need to kind of stick together a little bit more i think and and maybe just keep an eye on on ourselves keep an eye on on what's going on and and get behind this team as much as we can because ultimately you know, everybody wants to win. Everyone wants to see Fulham pushing in the right direction. And, and that's that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Yep. It's new uncharted waters for Fulham and a little bit of a new era for Fulhamish. So um, thank you for indulging us. Um, I really hate having to do these kind of chats about the podcast itself. It all feels a bit better to me, but I think it's important for us to say what's happening here and what direction we're going in. Um, and we will get uh, the aforementioned piece Rutzler on next. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast in partnership with The Athletic and delighted to welcome The Athletic's Fulham writer, Peter Rutzler, onto the podcast. Peter, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Sammy. Yeah, it's all very exciting. It is really exciting. It's been long awaited. We've been in frantic negotiations for for months, it feels like, but it's great to finally have you on the podcast. And Peter, obviously... You've been thrown into the Fulham world this summer and you've, you've really made a splash amongst Fulham supporters with, with all your articles and your tweets. And, and it's been great to have someone finally covering the club in great detail. How have you found it being very much thrown into the deep end with, with all things Fulham uh, since promotion back in August? It's definitely jumping in at the deep end, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of head first. I think it started sort of mid-September I think and straight away straight into the transfer market what's going on um that's given me a lot to talk about and a lot to write about which which definitely helps um but uh no I've I've really enjoyed it actually it's it's always a strange one coming in in that way and you know when you you sort of step foot for the first time and with a club and you, you want to make sure you get off on the right foot the right footing with everyone and um yeah everyone's been pretty welcoming so far it's uh there's loads to talk about and it's really exciting actually when you when you have a team like Fulham coming up there's lots of different things going on new players coming in how are they going to adapt how are they going to cope in the Premier League and I feel like I've got a good schooling as well with uh, teams battling against relegation so that should that should certainly help over the season um but no I'm I'm really enjoying it and it's it's good that we finally got the deal done does it count as deadline day maybe not maybe <laughs> um, but yeah no it's good it's good it's good to be on board with you guys 
Peter, for those not following The Athletic and for those who, who don't know you, I thought it'd just be nice to give kind of a brief history of what you've done at, at the organization and beforehand, what your kind of your story is or that's led you to Fulham at this point. Yeah, so I joined The Athletic last year when it launched. Um, I came in as their Bournemouth reporter, one of the younger ones. Um, and yeah, I, I, was, I got a phone call and then, you know, next thing I know, I'm packing my bags and my sunglasses and heading to the south coast for uh, what I expected to be <laughs> a reasonably comfortable team and joining the Eddie Howe fan club um yeah and it, it was I to be honest I really enjoyed my time down there and I still keep an eye on them it's, it's as you see on my, my twitter bio you know I, I still try and put out the odd piece on them as well um you know, there's some lovely people down there. It's a real community club with a, a real unique story and actually being able to tell that in a way that hadn't really been told so much. You know, there's that's the, the thing really with with The Athletic is because we do have a beat reporter on every Premier League side, you know, they get the same sort of coverage. You know, United will get three pieces. Fulham will get three pieces a week, um, sometimes more. Um, and, you know, for, for a club like Bournemouth, that was really quite nice to tap into. Um, I did not expect the season to pan out the way it did. Um, and uh, slowly cementing my reputation is not seeing many Premier League wins. So please can pull and win on Monday night. Um, I need to see a win. Um, but no, I, so yeah, I, I, I covered the club last year for the Athletic. Um, and before that, so I was I'm actually from Hounslow. So um, I'm, I'm local. So when, when it became clear that, you know, um, Fulham were coming up. They wanted someone to cover it. I think for, it was important to have someone covering Fulham anyway. Um, they're so it's like obviously they've got links to America and you know it's such a lovely part of the world and and and, and a club with a, a strong history as well. So um, once that became clear, it was a case of of, of me moving back and um, it's an opportunity to just jump out really. And it's nice being back 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 home really actually, um, which has been which has been great. Um, but in terms of my my journalistic sort of background, um, went to uni, graduated, did my NCTJ course. Um, I've written for the I newspaper, the Independent. Um, I've worked for the Mail as well on their sports desk. Went up to Scotland for a few months, worked up there, which is so much fun. Scottish football is great. The standards not good, but the stories are fun. But yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited to be here at Fulham, and it's a club that I've been to. I think my first Fulham game that I went to. I think it was a Premier League game. And all I remember was Ruben Rochina scoring a worldie for Blackburn right behind the goal. And <laughs> what a name. Yeah. Um, I think it was Steve Keane in charge for them, actually, at the time. Yeah, um, it would have, been, would have been 2011, I guess. Yeah, whenever I've been to a Fulham game, I've always been in the Hammersmith end. Uh, so I was behind Karagounis' worldie against Blackpool. Uh, I think it was Oh, right. what a goal. That was a hell of a goal. I was actually went with a couple of friends and um, who are they're, they're big Fulham fans and they're, they're not Greek, but they brought a Greek flag. So they were waving a Greek flag behind the goal and actually got like a wave and a hello from Karagounis. But, you know, <laughs> it no despite time. no links to Greece, it was yeah. horrible, horrible baiting. Um, and then you he, literally he, were on the piss with Karagounis. That is what <laughs> you were doing. <laughs> he didn't know it, though. Um, <laughs> Um, oh, but yeah, man. no, it's, it's awesome to be back in London. It's awesome to be back at the cottage. And, um, you know, it's a club I've known for a long time. And it's um, it's a lovely, like everyone's, it's, it's a similar sort of feeling actually to Bournemouth. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's a small club, but with a passionate fan base, a real family feel. And the welcome I've had has been really, really nice. And 
know, that that's even, you know, on social media can be such a horrible place sometimes, but everyone's very welcoming and that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's great. And I'm looking forward to getting stuck into the season and everything that, that comes our way. So, uh, yeah, and it's good to be with you guys too. It's, um, it's a funny one, Peter, in terms of how, how quickly it all turned around, obviously for you, but also for the club and that, that kind of period between the playoff final and the start of the season was manic for everyone involved, basically for, for us trying to look at what was going on. I imagine for everyone working at the club, trying to prepare for a Premier League season and for you being thrust into a new club while dealing with the transfer market, while dealing with all of these different bits and bobs and getting to know the kind of fabric of things. It's been, you know, a reasonably dramatic start, but what were your favourite pieces that you, you've kind of done so far? Uh, oh, my favourite article so far. Um, definitely the one I started with, the first piece on on Scott Parker. Um, it's always nice to start with a piece like that, really going into detail on on Scott, especially after the season he had. And it, it seemed to be such a, I would say roller coaster, but it's been an interesting one for him trying to set those foundation stones in place. And of course, his interview after the playoff final on, on Sky, that really sort of, thrust him into a wide limelight and obviously that went viral with the, with the streets overtone. So it was good to really dig into <laughs> him a little bit. Um, really just find out because he was always a player that you, you kind of looking at him and you, you see the way he'd play, the way he'd organize teams, even the way he dressed as a player, you know, tucking his shirt into his shorts. You're like, this guy, this guy wants to lead. So how's he, how's he sort of translated that into, into becoming a manager? And it was so fascinating speaking to the people who'd worked with him especially some of his mentors on his coaching um, coaching courses with the, with the PFA, just how they'd sort of picked that up quite early and how he'd already had that sort of idea about what he wanted to be, the te- how he wanted his teams to be structured. Um, and then also really focusing on that man management side, which is so, so important. And I think obviously that's going to be critical for now in, in the period that Fulham are in and after the start they've had. Um, so I really enjoyed getting getting under Parker's skin a little bit um with that piece that first one that, that started things off with with my Fulham coverage really um oh other I've interviewed Colin Amogbahin recently uh Fulham's under 23 coach he's an absolutely fascinating guy lovely guy as well um incredible story really you know he spent 20 years of his life helping young people both in and out of football and his Sunday league team junior elite he's produced some fantastic players you know Emil Smith-Rowe Aaron Wambasaka um Emil Smith-Rowe actually nearly signed for Fulham which was really quite interesting um and then it fell for at the last minute because I think Chelsea got interested and then he ended up at Arsenal didn't he but um wow. Colin was fantastic you know he's a playwright as well which was just so unexpected you know he, <laughs> he writes plays in his spare time and um he wants to get back to writing obviously football's taken over a little bit now but um it's those sort of characters and and you know, actually getting to talk about what they're like away from football, away from everything we see on the field, which is, is so, so interesting. And hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to tell more stories like that about players past, coaches past and, and present too. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's been, but as you, as you said, Jack, you know, it, it has been such a, like a whirlwind period, that five weeks, you know, I mean, for Fulham as a club, like that transition was so difficult, you know, it's even just, you know, with the new stand, they're having to change the gantry to make it longer and wider and, all of that had to be done so, so quickly. Um, and then <laughs> for me as well, just jumping straight in. I was able to take two weeks off though, as in two weeks like off, off, where I didn't really need to worry too much because I was sort of in that sort of transition phase. So yeah. I hadn't really started, hadn't really So I did very much enjoy that. So uh, nice couple of weeks in the Peak District. You had a calm before the storm, basically. I did. That's that's definitely the best way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's some, yeah, as you say, there's some great pieces on there. I particularly enjoyed the one you uh, did 
um, today about Tos Nadarabayo with uh, Sam Lee, who of course is Man City's athletic writer and really just shows his journey through what is probably one of the best football academies in the world, but how he, he you know, took this big gamble and, and moved to Fulham. Um, if you want to read any of Peter's pieces, I, I mentioned the address earlier, but the athletic.com forward slash Fulham pod and you can get The Athletic for £1 a month for the first six months. And the offer ends this week, so jump on it quickly. If you want to read Peter's pieces, plus all the other incredible pieces, plus listen to the Fulhamish podcast advert-free for the very first time, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod is what you need to do. So, Peter, what do you expect from Fulham this season? Obviously, we know the start of the season hasn't been what we wanted, but do you see any kind of green shoots coming through? I think there's a real tear in the fan base at the moment and, and some that kind of see it as doom and gloom when we're going to beat Derby's lowest points tally and, and some fans trying to say, look, we had a bad start, but there are signs of life. There is cause for optimism. So, so where are you on the kind of tipping scale of, of optimism versus negativity in, in terms of Fulham this season? Yeah, I mean, there has been a bit of gloom, hasn't there? Especially of like, and you can kind, of, you can get it. I mean, the start hasn't been great, and when you think about the fixtures Fulham have had, you know, you'd want to pick up points in these games. Um, I'm always, I always try to be optimistic. I think it doesn't bode so well when you're overly pessimistic and then trying to write about the club. But um, I, I genuinely think there is um, some cause for optimism. I, the thing is, like with this season, it's just so bizarre, and especially for Fulham with the tight turnaround. And obviously the way the summer panned out, you know, a lot of the business was done late. It, it, trying to actually get prepared for that step up from the championship to the Premier League is so difficult. Um, but yet you, you can still see the way like, Scott Parker wants to progress the team. You can still see those, those individual improvements. And, you know, I think I wrote before the Palace game that, you know, defensively they were looking better, they're looking tighter. They're creating more chances. I mean, there's, there's still that underlying vulnerability, but I feel like they're getting there. It's, it's, it's that learning process. I mean, Parker has gone on and on about, you know, always wanting his team to learn and evolve and trying to stress time. But of course, when, you know, when, when there's so much at stake in, in the Premier League, it's hard to get that time. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen those sort of improvements and I feel like it's going yeah. in the right direction. Um, and even Palace, you know, in those first five minutes, the first 10 minutes of the game, it was so good. It was so impressive, you know, taking the game to them. Um, then you get done by it's a quite soft goal, but Zaha was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. Really, so That's happened so many times this season, though, hasn't it? It's been like, oh, the first five minutes have been great. And then between about five and 10 minutes, we can see that. I think that's happened three or four times now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's clearly an issue, but um the, the, the fact that you have those moments um, and it's, and it is those fine margins. Like even you take the Adamola Lookman, a couple of chances he had, I mean, the first one's quite a narrow angle, but the second one, it's the inside of the post. Like you're talking like centimeters the other way and you're looking at a different game. Um, and, you know, and Palace are very good at seeing games out in that way. And second half wasn't great. I don't think you can sort of butter that up too much. It was a bit too slow, a bit too pedestrian. Um, but I, I feel like there's, you know, Fulham aren't going to get walked over this year. As much, well, it depends. I mean, I, I, from what I've seen so far, the impression I get is they won't be. But of course, things change. The more you lose, the more you don't pick up points. It affects mentality. And that's what's so, so important is that they're still fighting and pulling in the same direction. And we'll only really get the picture of that with the games to come. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it means how it shows how important this this West Brom game is, right? But but also man for man, this Fulham team is as strong as we've seen in ages, right? There, there's there's obviously going to be problems teething with these kind of sides, and I think Fulham got stuck a little bit in limbo between this. Oh, we can't go out and spend a hundred million again. And also, on the flip side, the players we have aren't good enough, so we need to bring in new players to you know to make that happen. And we're seeing people start to make their you know embedding nature into this side really. And and you look at the likes of Anthony Robinson, who's who's now started the last two games at left back, and you know obviously you feel a bit for Joe Bryan given how you know how integral he was to the side that, that came up, and especially in the playoff final. But also he's starting to bed in. You see Olaina, who had a really weird first game against Brentford in the cup, and uh, and didn't look like he was up to much, and and then suddenly has started to find a little bit of rhythm here. We've seen Tosin Adarabayo come in, as you say. You know Loftus Cheek, Lamina, Angisa, all of these players back in the side and, and starting to find their way. You know even Lookman has only started two games right for Fulham so we're looking at a side here who are who are new to each other still and 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 will need that time to gel and unfortunately when you're down the bottom it, it becomes very difficult to make that happen but even if you look across you know the great divide in SW6 and you look at you know that 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 mob from up the road at Stamford Bridge you know you'll see that they've got a whole load of new players who are struggling to gel it's just those players are you know unbelievably talented and and therefore are going to get out get the odd result here and there because of just pure talent Whereas Fulham are, are struggling a little bit on that count because everyone in the Premier League is, is a good side. But there is definitely things to be excited about in this side. Definitely. I think it's as you say, it's that question of time, isn't it? And the thing that sort of counts against it is who's coming up and the games that have gone. But yeah, it's it's finding that balance, as you say. Like They were definitely in a, stuck between a rock and a hard place when it came to this season. You know, you had such a tight time frame to get people in you knew that you did have to make people in and that became very clear in those opening games where you could see that there's a there's a, there's a gulf gap, really, um, which one you could probably bridge over time, you know, if you have that time to work on things that players get used to the league, but you just don't really have that. So then you've got to get people in and then you've got to get them used to your system, the way Parker wants the team to play. Um, they've got to get used to each other. There's that cohesion you've got to develop. And I, like, you know, they don't, there's no, there's not the quality of Chelsea. There's not, there's not that quality of some of the teams above them. And it, it has felt over the last few seasons, that sort of middle class in the Premier League has continually strengthened. So if you're coming up from the championship and your team is, you know, high level championship and you, you're not quite there Premier League wise, it can be quite a jump unless you you have something exceptional about you like Leeds United have this year with, with Bielsa. Um, and you do personally like looking at the team and, you look at the, the individual players they've got and how they fit into the system. Like there, there's, there, there are good enough players in there um, to compete if, if they get the time to keep working on it. Um, but we'll see in the coming games. And I think, as you say, West Brom is massive. It is massive now because of the way the teams have started, the way the team is perceived. Um, and that, you know, there are so many different pitfalls for Fulham. And I think 2018-19 is such a hindrance, really. Like it's, It casts such a shadow over how they're doing things. Everything gets evaluated in comparison to what they did then. As you're right, they did bring it, they brought in a lot of players this year. Is it? Re- it's not overly different in terms of the, the number of people they've brought in. It's the way they sort of approached it and how they've been described. Obviously, there's not the same outlay this summer. Um, if you take, if you put Anthony Lockhart to one side, um, you know, the, the players they've brought in on loan, I mean, Adarabio's fee was, was incredibly cheap. Like, it's a remarkable amount of money to spend on a player of that quality. 
Um, so there's almost been that sort of trying to tread that fine line where, you know, we're not going to spend load, but we still need to bring in that quality. And also in the market, like it's a really, it was a really difficult market this summer as well. Um, players, the clubs don't really want to be spending a lot of money. You don't want to be caught in that trap at the moment because who knows what's coming next. And obviously we haven't even mentioned the, the pandemic too, to, to factor in. So, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to make like a, a proper assessment and say Fulham are terrible. They're going down. Fulham are showing green shoots. They, they, they may be able to stay up. It's, it's, it's very much a, a work in progress and, everyone's reacting to the unusual circumstances in which the team is in. Like, even if you're a new player coming in, like how you can't interact with your teammates in the same way as before. You can't, there's not the same socials. You can't be outside your bubble. You can't get used to the new place in which you live. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been difficult. And I guess, you know, when you have players who have had that Premier League experience, like Loftus-Cheek, like Ola Aina, like Adamola Lookman, you know, these guys should, it helps, it helps that sort of bedding in process. So, I, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a, there are positives and I, I do try to, to reinforce them. But the, 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 the basic fact is if you're not picking up points, you're going to struggle. And it's once the teams around them start pulling away, then it, then it can become very difficult. You mentioned the pandemic. It's this small thing that's happening at the moment. It <laughs> doesn't get a lot of coverage. What is it? Yeah, it's it's this virus, Jack. It came, it came from China and uh, it's been really widespread. You might have missed it though. Yeah. Um, so we haven't been in the ground since Bristol City away um, early March last year. I'm still thankful I went to that game because at least I was there for the final match in person. And Peter, obviously, you're one of the very few lucky ones that are in the ground at the moment. And we're all desperately missing the cottage. We're all desperately missing away days and, and getting to be there in the ground. What has it been like at an empty Craven Cottage. What has it just been like to be there? Um, I guess you must be hearing things that as fans, we'd never get to hear because you can hear the players shouting and who's vocal, who's not, who's a leader. Um, how many instructions is Parker barking from the touchline? So, so what is the atmosphere in like in these empty stadiums? It's weird because, you know, because it's been going on for so long now, March was just about nine eight eight nine seven it's not like seven eight months ago now yeah and we just you know the last few months have only been in, in grounds but you sort of you, you do sort of adapt to it as a, as a normal when it, it is it's definitely not they're all they are like training ground games and as you say you can hear so much more than than you would normally i get the only disappointing thing for for me was that uh scott parker and and the, the visiting bench are all on the opposite side of the ground uh, in front of the new development so can't hear exactly what he's saying all of the time but he's very very vocal actually more than I more than I thought he would be um he definitely he, he he's very he's very good with his instructions him and Matt Wells um he also does you know give grief to the fourth official when it when it's due Mitro of course is the loudest and you probably knew that when the ground was full anyway he's very funny <laughs> to listen to when he's barking at referees lots of why what are you doing, ref? Loads of that. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. You love to see it. Yeah. It's also really useful though. So if you take someone like Alphonse Ariola, um, new keeper, um, to come from France, um, how is he going to adapt? Communication is so important for a keeper, but he is so loud, so vocal, constantly communicating with his back line. I feel like he's sort of, a, he's grown in like the first couple of games, but especially on Saturday, he's really, really, it's really noticeable. Um, Marek was like that anyway, Marek Rodak when he, when he was playing and, Obviously, he's familiar with his teammates, but actually seeing that develop and seeing that grow, seeing the kind of instructions he's giving, constant encouragement, even to the to the midfielders as well. 
which is, you know, which is the kind of thing you wouldn't normally get to see or get to focus on too much. Um, but in general, you know, it's, I hate it really. Like when you're in a ground, which is, which is full of people, this is just from a, from a journalistic perspective, you, you, yeah. you sense emotion, you, you, you feel how the game is going from how people are reacting. And, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, I was gonna say magic, but there is a sort of a magic to it. There's sort of a mystic feel to it that you, that you miss and it becomes so stale and stagnant and throw in your VAR and it's just, it's, it's it can be a bit horrible really. But as you say, I'm I'm so fortunate to be in there. You know, there's only a few of us who are able to do that and actually being in the cottage. And I know the privilege of being there and especially at the moment when it seems to be coming much harder to watch games, not least for Fulham fans now that they're sort of condemned to PPV, which is just not great at all. It's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? It feels like this has gone on forever and it feels like there's also no end in sight. But but we you know we hope and pray that, that things will, will sort themselves out in time. Um, Peter, I mean, on these Thursday episodes, we're going to be be talking about things like Parker's press conferences, what, you, what you're gleaning from from the kind of inside the club knowledge that you, you get and, and the access that you get. And I just thought I'd talk a little bit about Fulham's injury list and, and, and kind of what we're looking at here because there's a whole load of players who, who are off the table and I'm not even going to go into the likes of Josh Onoma, who's obviously not even in the squad because of whatever injury he seems to have picked up. It appears to be a knee injury, but no one, no one's a hundred percent sure, really. Um, mm. But, but also, I think we're all kind of a little bit bated breath on on the returns of, of the likes of Kenny Tete about when we're going to see Joachim Anderson or when we're going to see Terence Congolo come into this side. And I, I just wondered if you had any kind of light to, to shed on, on what these are, or if if the club are are remaining very tight lipped on, on what's going on. Fulham are very tight-lipped with their injuries, which is one thing I've uh, realised since I've started. <laughs> but um, no, I... Um, so in terms of Kenny Tetter, Joachim Anderson, I did ask Parker specifically, and he, he's quite reluctant to put timeframes on any of these guys. Um, so I mentioned whether the international break, the next one would be a good target, and he said they'd be in a much better place by then, and that's probably a realistic aim. So that bodes quite well. Um, I think Ter- Terence Conglo, I was initially told, was only a couple of weeks um, but I don't know if that was that's when he arrived, whether that was a couple of weeks until he's back in training or actually in contention. I don't think he'd be back in contention. I think he could be another one looking at that sort of international break beyond that. He's obviously been out for such a long time. Like it was such a a difficult injury for him. He had a, a piece of metal, I think, put into his foot to help support him. And that's that's a really difficult one to come back from and, and to do well. I think there's clearly a confidence that he will come back and come back soon. Otherwise, Fulham would not have signed him. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's been, that's been the other sort of thing that's been thrown in, hasn't it? The injuries. Um, Kenny Tetter's first couple of games was excellent. You know, I did a piece on him and everyone I was sort of speaking to about him really praised his one-on-one ability. It was one of the first things they'd say when I'd say, oh, what, what, what makes him special as a fullback? What's, what's his main attribute? It was always his one-on-one ability, but he can cross the ball really well. He, dig, um, yeah. he stands them up lovely, doesn't he? He, oh, he really does dig them out. Pitching wedge. Mitro loves him. So his first game, I think it was Ipswich, and yeah. uh, he got an, he got an assist in that game. <laughs> he just gave him a round of applause as he left the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so having him back in the team is, would be great. And I think Olerena will will improve. He'll he'll grow with 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 each game that I comes. I think he's already well. improving. I think that's, that's and he's, a fair he's point. also very versatile, isn't he? So he can yeah. the fact that he can play on either side, he can play further forward. That's going to be a real asset. Um, but having him back, obviously the wacky, the, the wacky Anderson stuff. I mean, that was just so so unlucky. Like, talking, <laughs> uh, yeah, most common sort of reply to that was very Fulhamish. So, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> which is such you've a shame. Got to, you've got to know the word early. Oh, very early, mate. Very early. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Michael Hector's a strange one. Um, I asked Scott after Palace, what's, where is he? I asked if he was injured and he said no, and he's just not around at the moment. So I don't really know what's going on with, with Hector. I don't know if he's just been sort of taken out of the limelight a little bit. Um, obviously, those first couple of games were very difficult for him. But, you know, I, I definitely think he's a Premier League defender. I think, you know, you got, if he gets the time just to adapt, you know, we saw how important he was to the team last year. Um, hopefully he can get those opportunities to, to force his way back into the setup. And I, I, I'd be really surprised if, you know, if he, if he didn't get those opportunities. Um, I, I'd, I suspect it's just to, to pull him out of uh, the heat a bit. Following, you know, because things got very intense, didn't they? After those first couple of games and yeah, got the goals heated. that were flying in, and I just think for him, and it's probably the sort of the best thing to do. Um, and you forget as well, like the the these footballers are human, and and he's 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 had a kid in the last couple of months, and then so that coupled with playing badly, a new league, um, and and just generally a defense that was in kind of turmoil was probably a bad place for him personally and 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 I'd like to hope that it's it's that's the reason that Fulham have decided not to include Michael Hector in the squad but of course you do hear these rumors about a bust up between Hector and Parker so it will be interesting as the weeks go on Peter to kind of see what's going on there definitely definitely and you know I'm always love to sort of speculate about why when I don't really know but you know there were there were those rumors on towards deadline day about him leaving and I I, I don't think that was good. That was there was much to them. It's the impression I got from from those I spoke to, that was you know <laughs> he is very much valued. Um, but obviously, when you have so many defenders, that those you know that's he's a player who's proven his level. He can be exceptionally important to a team in, in the championship, and you're going to get that that sort of interest. So, um, yeah, I mean, as you say, you know, there is the personal side to it, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'm sure we will. I mean, he's. He deserves his opportunity as much as anything. Um, and, you know, those first couple of games. And if you factor in everything we've already talked about, all the different factors that have come into this season. Um, and then you obviously for him, he's, he's, got, he's had a he's had new baby. So there's, there's always that side to it too. Um, but yeah, it's, that's definitely one to we'll follow during the season. And uh, it'd be interesting to see who ends up being first choice centre-halves now that there are so many on the books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've gone from none got- to all of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fulham don't do things by halves. We don't just get the right amount of centre backs. We either have literally none at all, or as you say, every centre back in the world. And um, finally, Peter, in a minute we're going to be speaking to, to Steve Madeley, who is your West Brom counterpart for the Athletic about Monday's game. You mentioned how big a game it is. How do you see it going, and who do you see Scott uh, choosing in his lineup? Oh, that's that's a tough one to predict his lineup. Um, I, it's, yeah, it's such an important game, isn't it? Um, I mean, West Brom have had, I mean, they've had some good moments, haven't they? They, they went three 0 up against Chelsea, and then obviously they, they threw that away, which doesn't bode particularly well for them. But they they've also found that transition to the Premier League quite difficult. Uh, they, they don't seem to be in the best moment right now, um, with especially with the stuff about Ahmed Hagazi being sold, and I'm sure Steve will elaborate on that and Steve, uh, Slavin Bilic's unhappiness about that so it doesn't seem like they're in the best place and I guess from a Fulham point of view you know that's this is the time to sort of try and take advantage of that and I feel like 
we've sort of moved from let's see how each game goes we want to take them as they come to these are kind of must wins now like Palace had that feeling to it I'll be interested to see how Parker sets up because obviously against Palace he tried this sort of See, I thought it was more of a Christmas tree watching on with Lookman and Loftus-Cheek sort of tucking in with the three behind him and then Kearney in the second half, I think, was playing a lot higher. Um, yeah. Which I, I sort of understood why he was doing it. And obviously, Olerena and Anthony Robinson were getting forward quite well, but they didn't have the final ball. The crossing to the service wasn't great. I think there were a couple of times Lookman sort of picked up the ball in those pockets and it was quite effective. But I just felt they needed to stretch, stretch Palace a little bit more. Mm. Um, I'd be interested to see how, what he does against West Brom how he'll sort of combat their threats, whether he'll go back to that sort of 4-5-1 and bring back some of those wide players. I'm not sure um, if even Cavalera will be available. I'm sure we'll find out a bit more tomorrow. He had a slight hamstring issue, which is why he missed out last week. Um, So it'd be interesting to see how he he sets up again. I think I get like, you look at the team and, you know, the most important player is Lookman and getting him on the ball. But also Loftus Cheek, and I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. I feel like he's he's sort of playing in this half right hand side role where he's kind of central, but encouraged to play wide, cover defensively on in that area. And I don't know if that's getting the best out of him yet. It's just it's too early really to say with any certainty on that. But definitely want to see the qualities he has. He was so important when he went to to Palace on loan, and then with the the season before he picked up that Achilles injury that. That kept him out for so long. You know, he's really establishing himself in that Chelsea team. He's you can see from the touches every now and again that he brings his tidiness on the ball. You know, he can he can be a real top quality player. So finding the best way to use him will be will be interesting as well. But but yeah, going back to West Brom, it's it's such an important game. Um and they'll be going into it with the same sort of mindset. And you then once you well, if if Fulham don't pick up a win there, you're looking at a real tough slog. Um, but obviously the only the bright side of course is that Sheffield United and Burnley aren't picking up points either um, and Brighton are still hovering around there and, and, and West Brom too so you know it's that that does help and yeah West Brom you've got, you've got to take take some points from that there's a lot of a lot of teams around and about that area you said Christmas tree there and it's just thrown me back to uh, <laughs> to watching like Fulham's promotion DVDs or the the DVDs before we got promoted in like 99 2000 Paul Bracewell played a Christmas tree and there's one for the old heads there it's just uh, it's just really <laughs> chucked my uh, chucked my imagination back to being like four years old and watching like DVDs at home about <laughs> well not DVDs VHSs um about of what, what those kind of what those things were and yeah the Chris Paul Bracewell's Christmas tree was was famed in Fulham folklore for not scoring many goals um so so there we are we've got that going on again right well Peter thank you so much for being part of Fulhamish for the first time and and I think one thing that I can definitely tell from the last half hour is that we're going to get some great insight from you over the season. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, you're going to be here every Thursday, just uh, giving us the latest updates on all things Fulham from your perspective. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's very excited to sort of step over the fence, you know, when you're listening every week and then suddenly you're on it. It's uh, ah. that very strange feeling. So thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully I can give you some different perspectives and some insights as well. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's really exciting. Up next on the Fulhamish podcast, I'm going to be catching up with Steve Maidley, the West Brom correspondent for The Athletic, looking ahead to Monday's game. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, and we are chatting all things West Brom, and we're joined by the West Brom correspondent for The Athletic, Steve Maidley. How are you doing, Steve? I'm okay, thank you. You? 
Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, as I was telling you off air just before we started this, you're the first kind of opposition correspondent from The Athletic that we've had on the podcast. So uh, delighted it could be you, Steve. It's like pressure. It's not pressure at all. It's just a a great honour for us to have you on, Steve. Um, Massive game goes without saying on Monday you guys have had a slightly better start to life in the Premier League than us but it's certainly not been plain sailing I imagine other West Brom fans and the West Brom players and team generally must be looking at Monday as the massive match that it is absolutely um I mean it's it's a massive match any anyway because West Brom haven't haven't won a game Fulham obviously aren't going well uh, another newly, newly promoted team but also, um, West, West Brom's next two games after that are, top, are Tottenham and Manchester United, which, all things being, being equal, you perhaps wouldn't expect them to be getting much out, out, out of those two. So, all of a sudden, if they if they if they don't beat Fulham, then that that with this win this start of the season could easily be extended by by another three games, and then things do begin to look really dicey. Feels very similar situation to us, Steve. We've got tough games coming up after this one as well. And it's it's so weird seven games in that it feels like such a massive turning point in the season. Uh, what have you made of West Brom summer since promotion? From afar, it looks like you'd made a few sensible deals here and there. Obviously getting Dean Garner over the line was, was a massive coup for, for you guys. But then all of this debate around Hagazi makes it look a little bit less rosy in the uh, in the Hawthorns camp. Yeah, I think sensible is a is, is a really good word for it. Actually, that they have strengthened sen- sensibly within the uh, the boundaries of the budget that, that, that was made available. Um, but that budget um, we're led to believe was around twenty million pounds in terms of upfront uh, fees, um, and twenty million pounds doesn't doesn't go doesn't go a long way really in the Premier League these no. days, does it? So, I mean, effect- effectively, they've uh, re-signed all of the loanees who did a good job la- last season: Pereira, Dean Garner, Filip Kruvinovic, and Callum Robinson. Um, but then that left ve- very little um, to do in, ter- in terms of adding players to the mix. Um, so that, uh, they've got Branislav Ivanovic, who obviously fantastic career, but he's 30, 36 years old. Um, he started pretty well, to be fair, but re- remains to be seen. Um, just how consistent he can be at 36. Um, they've signed Conor Gallagher uh, on loan from Chelsea, who again has started really well, but he's a, but he's a young kid. It's first time in the Premier League, so again, who knows how consistent he's going to be? And they eventually, after a really long pursuit, signed Carlin Grant, um, who mm. who got off, off off the mark the other night at Brighton uh, with a, a really good finish. Uh, he's a player they wanted for a while, but again. Limited Premier League experience, so they've they've kind of gone on the face of it. They've gone into a Premier League season with a squad which is not that much stronger than the one that, that, that won promotion, um, which is kind of it's kind of no one's fault. It's just they haven't got an owner who who, who puts money into into the club, so they have to spend what what, what they had. Um, a lot of their Premier League money was already committed in terms of. Uh, players' promotion bonuses, uh, add-ons uh, to, to deals that, that, that were done last last summer. Um, they've written, written off um, some of the Premier League money to um, kind of mitigate the lack of fans inside the inside the ground. So didn't leave them leave them with with a lot a lot to spend. Um, 
and yeah, it's it's been that kind of summer. Um, it's that promotion feel, feels like a long time ago already because clearly that the cracks are beginning to show and the fans are, be, are getting frustrated. Yeah. Now talk us through um, what you expect from from this match between Fulham and West Brom. We obviously played each other twice last season. We drew on both occasions, and that nil nil at the end of last season really felt like the moment where Fulham's automatic hopes, faint as though they were, really slipped away from us. And and you guys clearly were looking for the draw in that game because it just kept your heads above water. I assume you're probably expecting another quite tight contest this time around. I think so. Although West Brom are, are a team who, um, certainly so far this season, are, are a better team with the ball than without the ball. So um, given, given that Fulham haven't, Start to the season well, and given that West Brom really need to win this game because if they don't, you could you could be looking at nine games into the season, pretty much a quarter of the season gone um, without a win. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if West Brom were fa- fairly adventurous in in in, in, the, in this game because I think they'll be they'll be looking, looking at this one as what as one one where they really have to have to without being kamikaze try to win it exactly and also i'd be really interested to get your thoughts on the way that west brom got promoted in the end obviously we were kind of involved in it and we then saw brentford it go into their hands and it was very enjoyable from a fulham point of view to watch them like spectacularly fall apart in the way that they did um against stoke and barnsley in those games so what was the feeling in the west brom camp when you did achieve promotion there must have just been an element of God, we did that the hard way. Yeah, it was it was just massive relief. I, th- I think. I mean, it was a w- it was a weird season because uh, for much of the season, um, West Brom West Brom had, had kind of put in place a two year plan under Slaven Bilic. They expected expected this season to be the one where they where they seriously challenged for, for, for promotion, and so they did it ahead of schedule. So for the whole season, it felt like promotion wasn't the be all and end all that that they'd achieve what what they what, largely what they wanted to achieve, which which was to rebuild the squad. Um, Reduce the average age of the squad, re- uh, reconnect the fans to the team, playing a brand of football that the fans wanted wanted to see, and then lockdown came and COVID came, and all of a sudden promotion did become the be all and end all fin- financially because they put themselves in, in a position where they had a really good chance of promotion, and financially they had they had to take it because of the Premier League riches that that came with it and all the uncertain uncertainty around COVID and that. Those games after lockdown were just so tense. Um, I mean, mm. it, it, even for me as a kind of impartial, impartial observer wa- watching it, you couldn't you couldn't fail to kind of s- feel the tension. Um, and especially when a few results went against them, and, Br- and Brentford just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning, and you could feel them breathing, breathing down your neck. And like you say, e- even West Brom's results even brought Fulham back into it um, to the point where, like you say, that home game against Fulham at the Hawthorns, where at the start of lockdown, I think I think we'd all looked at that and thought, well, that could be the game where they clinch promotion. And all of a sudden, the only that game thinking, well, actually, it draws a good result because it just it writes off Fulham and makes it a two horse race rather rather than a three horse race. Um, yeah, it was just so tense, and the nerves got to West Brom. I think I think I think looking back, I think a lot of the players and the, and the coaching staff would would readily admit that now that the tension just got just got to them, and. In the end, they kind of fell, fell across the line, which is not to say that, that, that they weren't worthy promotees, if that's if that's a word, um, <laughs> because because they were they were in the in the top two for the vast majority of the season. They played some really good football, so 
over the over the course of the forty six games, I think they were, they were worthy of winning promotion. But yeah, they did it the hard way in those last few games. Well, we certainly uh, watched it, enjoyed watching from afar when uh, when Brentford bottled it. And uh, whilst this season's been pretty painful for Fulham, just just knowing that we had those games in the bag still makes things uh, a little bit sweeter for us. And what have you made uh, of Fulham's starts of the season and their business from afar? I imagine the fact that we've spent a little bit more money than West Brom must make some fans feel like, oh, why Fulham got money and we don't, but then also you must be looking at some of the mess that's been going on at, at Fulham and thinking, well, at least we're not as bad as them. Well, yeah, I, I think certainly the former point, point you make. I think I think West Brom fans kind of in, inevitably question, question the club in terms of transfers. I mean, whether they write to or not or not is, is, is a different matter, but but they but they do and they do point to Fulham and and especially to Leeds and and say, well. If they can spend that kind of money, then then why can't we? Uh, I mean, clearly the answer is that West Brom don't have don't have an owner who puts it, who puts any money into into the club, so they have to make every penny that they they spend these in, in terms of transfers. Um, but I, th- I think we I think we all looked at Fulham um, and and kind of expected them to be down there, may, kind of maybe maybe not, not as poorly as they as they have been so far this season. But I think we all thought that. The squad was going to was going to take a hell of a lot of strengthening, probably more than than Fulham can afford to do to, to make them a genuine, a genuine Premier League side, much like West Brom, really. And I think we, I think, I think, I think we all looked at it and thought, well, yeah, these two teams are going to be in the bottom in the bottom of five or six for most of the season. And do you think that the bottom four, as it is now, is going to be the relegation race? It's it's horrifically early to be making that kind of call, but ourselves then Burnley and Sheffield United do just look a cut below the rest of the Premier League they do I mean Sheffield United is, is an interesting one one because you you would think that they would have a, a level of confidence from from last season that, that, that they could may, may, maybe go on a run of two or three games uh, and pick up some wins but and Burnley too you know every season we look at it and say well but but Burnley will struggle this year inevitably, and once one year that will be the case, and it may maybe this season. But I, don't, I must admit, I don't look at those two and, and think, well, they'll definitely be down be down there because their form in, re, in recent seasons kind of says otherwise. I think I think Brighton will be be down there for for most of the season. I think I think I think Newcastle will be certainly in in, in the in the bottom half. Um, but yeah, I, I, mean, I certainly think West Brom, Fulham, Brighton would would be the, the three that I would say would definitely be down there all season. But I mean, clearly Burnley and Sheffield United could could be as well because that because they've started the season badly and they they haven't got the biggest squads in the world. No, and they've both got uh, tough fixtures uh, coming up as well. So we all still could be win. If, if Fulham West Brom uh, ends in a draw on Monday, Steve, a lot of teams still could be winless um, by the time that um, November rolls around. Um, Steve, uh, just finally, what is your prediction for the match? How do you see it going? Optimistically, maybe. I, I can see a West Brom win. I just think that they've improved a little bit with each game they've that, 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 that they've played. West Brom's challenge is, is really to kind of combine the attacking potency, which, to be fair, they, they, they did show in the uh, in the first few games with, with a slightly more defensive solidity, which they've developed in, in the last couple of games. And they just need to find that happy medium. But they've kind of incrementally got closer to 
where they need to be to, to, to at least compete in the, in the Premier League. And the second half of Brighton was, was pretty encouraging. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going for a narrow West Brom win. Well, Steve, thank you very much for uh, being on Fulhamish and uh, we'll see what happens on Monday. No problem. Good to speak to you. Well, thank you very much to Steve Maidley from The Athletic, their West Brom correspondent and massive game on Monday, Jack. And just fingers crossed Fulham can get the business. It's it's on pay-per-view again. It's going to cost £14.95 again. It's 5.30 on a Monday. There's lots of ingredients for this match that don't make it particularly appetising for us in the UK. But We'll have to find a way to to follow it and fingers crossed we can get the result done. Yeah, it's a relegation six-pointer, I think, ultimately. is is <laughs> Look at it and you think these are two teams that haven't won a game yet in the Premier League. There's four sides who haven't won yet. And I think a lot of the doom and gloom would potentially be slightly lifted by by a win here, which would lift us probably out of the bottom three. You know, it would it'd take us into into a place where we, we look like we're not going to just go the entire season without winning a game. It feels like this is an important game. But again, you know, it's, it's early doors. And like we said with Peter there, you know, there's, there's t- this team are gelling and taking their time to gel. And, and ultimately, we've just got to stick with them. And, and hopefully that, you know, Monday night is where it all starts to click. And, you know, we can we can do no more than hope for that, really, at this point. Yeah. Um, thank you for our self-indulgence at the beginning of the podcast as well. Um, as you say, really exciting times that we've partnered with The Athletic and hopefully you can continue to, to listen to Fulhamish and you appreciated uh, Peter and Steve's insights. Um, it's really exciting that they're on board and The Athletic's on board. Um, but the Fulhamish you know and love will continue as well uh, long into the future, Jack. Yes, absolutely. No, no plans for gigantic change here. Uh, we'll be we'll be here covering Fulham as we always have been, and 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 doing our best to to kind of unpick what's going on in in what promises to be another roller coaster season. So, fingers crossed that that Fulham can get the job done on Monday, and uh, we can come back off the back of that with a with a happy episode for the first time in a little while. Well, yeah, you're going to be hosting on Monday. Um, um, I work evenings, so I can't do the podcast uh, on Monday night. But uh, you'll be looking back at that game. Uh, pretty much straight after the match. And um, I really hope for your sake, Jack, that uh, you've got a win to talk about. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. eh? Fingers crossed. We live in hope. Have a great weekend. And let's hope the boys can do it on Monday. Come on, you whites. You whites.